Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, the White House defines a bona fide relationship. Who's close family and who's not under the president's reinstated travel ban? It's Friday, June 30th. At 8 p.m. on Thursday night, the Trump administration began enforcing a modified version of its travel ban on foreign visitors from six mostly Muslim countries and refugees from around the world. The Supreme Court had partially restored the ban on Monday, but ruled that it cannot be applied to people with a, quote, bona fide relationship to someone in the United States. Michael Shear, what is the definition of bona fide? And I'm going to elect to use that pronunciation rather than bona fide, just because it sounds too fancy. <laughs> I think that's I think that's good. Um, I guess there's a couple different ways to look at this, right? There's the dictionary definition, right, which means genuine and real, or it means made in good faith without fraud or deceit. I think the more complicated question is trying to suss out the practical and political definition as interpreted by a government agency in the wake of a big Supreme Court decision. So what is the Trump White House defining as a genuine and real relationship that would allow someone to come into the United States beginning now? So what they're saying is basically that a set of family relationships, mother, father, sister, brother, um, mother-in-law, father-in-law, but not grandmother, but not cousins or kind of a further relationship outside of the what you would think of as your traditional kind of nuclear family. They say if, if a person applying for a visa to come into the United States from one of these six countries that the administration has focused on or a refugee attempting to come into the United States from anywhere in the world, if you have one of those relationships, then you can come in, assuming you aren't a threat in any other way. If you don't have one of those relationships and if you aren't a student admitted to a university here or somebody who's been hired by a company, say Microsoft has hired you to come in and work as a programmer or something, if you don't have one of those relationships in the United States, you're out of luck and you're going to be kept out of the United States. So let me lay out a few scenarios here because it's pretty complicated who can come in now and who can't based on this word bonafide as it's being defined by the White House. 
Hello? Hey, Suzanne. It's Michael Barbaro yes. from The Times. Hi. Thank you for making some time for me. I really appreciate it. No problem. On Thursday afternoon, a few hours before the ban went into effect, I called Suzanne Ramazani. So, you're getting married. Yes. Tell me about it. So, uh, I'm a first-generation American. My mom is originally from Germany, and my dad is originally from Iran. Mm -hmm. I recently became engaged to my boyfriend of six years on New Year's Eve, and we decided to set a date to get married next year, 2018, um, after we finish medical school. We're both third-year medical students right now. And unfortunately, with this newly instated ban, Mm -hmm. this new term of who is a bona fide Hmm. relative, really no one from my dad's side of the family is able to attend. This is the Iranian side of the family. Correct. Yes. So my mom's side from Germany is able to come, but my uncles, my aunts, my cousins on my dad's side are all unable to attend. um, Not Not a single member of this family from Iran. Not a single family member. And um, hmm. it's it's heartbreaking because I don't have anyone else, you know. Um, uh, I'm an only child. We don't have any family here in the United States. My fiancé is also an only child. And, you know, to both of us, family is everything, as is to most people. And I just, you know, I, I, I really have no other words to say other than it breaks my heart. Um, you know, I just want my family to be there on the most important day of our lives. Hmm. Are you close to your family in Iran? It sounds like you are. Oh, I very much am. You know, I very much am. I had the opportunity to travel to Iran when I was 16 and, again, a couple years ago. And when I went there for the first time, you know, this was right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect. I thought that things would be very different. I didn't know how people would respond. And I had the complete opposite experience there. There was so much love and people wanting to know about, you know, American culture, what music I listened to. It was just such a wonderful experience for me that I wish more people understood Iranian people, that it's, it's not, what I see more of the issue is that it's our governments against each other hmm. and it's not the people. Um, you know, I don't see that many differences between us. So President Trump is defining this phrase bona fide relationship one way. How do you mm-hmm. define it? You know, I don't think you can define a relationship. I don't think you can define who is family and who is not. You know, I, I understand the, the fear of terrorism. I, you know, I live in the United States. I, I I I fear it as well. You know, um, recently there was a terrorist attack in Iran. I, I understand that. I just, to me, I don't understand how preventing family members who have a direct connection to people here in the U.S., how that hinders terrorism. You know, um, when I heard that it was originally people who had no connection, you know, that made a little bit more sense Mm -hmm. to me. But Having, you know, having the government define who has a relationship and who does not, I think it's still a very murky subject. And I, I just wish people had more understanding of the impact it has on people here in the U.S. as well. Well, Susanna, I want to thank you and tell you mazel tov on your upcoming wedding. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Okay, bye. 
All right, so Michael, another scenario. I am a Syrian grandmother living in the United States, and my grandchild lives in Syria and is now suddenly an orphan. And as, as involved and maybe as dramatic as that sounds, there are so many orphans in Syria who have grandparents in the United States because of the civil war there. So now as a grandmother, I want to raise this orphan grandchild in the United States. Can I bring this grandchild to the U.S. right now? It appears not. I mean, again, I think under the rules, that child would not be able, unless they had some other relative that was a, a parent or a, a sibling in the United States, that, that person would not be able to come over because they don't mm-hmm. have a connection to the United States that is, in the, the words of the government, bona fide relationship. When it comes to this word bona fide, why did the government not just list the relationships that if you're in one, mean you can come in. For example, if you have a parent here or a sibling here, you can come in. If you don't, you know, sort of tough luck. Why instead is the government introducing this idea of categorizing forms of relationships as as kind of a hierarchy of real or authentic or not? Why use this word bona fide at all? So I think if this had been a decision solely of an administrative part of government, meaning Mm -hmm. the executive branch, I'm not sure they would have, right? I think they would have probably gone the direction that you're suggesting, which is simply to offer a list. These are in, those are out. But remember, where that word, that phrase came from wasn't the executive branch. It was the Supreme Court. And I'm not a Supreme Court reporter, but my sense is that the world that the Supreme Court justices live in, Mm. not, not one of kind of black and white lists, but one of general principles that they're trying to elucidate. Hmm. And so, look, decades and decades of Supreme Court jurisprudence has been about laying out a general principle that they think meets the sort of test of constitutionality or legality, and then the rest of the government has to go and figure out what that means. And I don't think this is any different in that respect from what the court generally does. They don't want to get into the nitty-gritty. Nobody elected the Supreme Court justices to sort of get down on into the weeds and decide whether a sister-in-law is better than a grandma hmm. or vice versa. So the court is basically saying, look, what we're after here, the general principle that we're after here is that if somebody is coming to the United States, they got to have a pretty good connection, you know, something that mm-hmm. ties them here versus somebody who really doesn't have any connection to the United States. They're not a citizen. They don't know a citizen. They just want to come here, right? And and I think from the court's perspective, that type of person isn't entitled to the same mm-hmm. kinds of protections and rights that certainly citizens of the United States or residents of the United States are, or they would argue, I guess, somebody who is closely connected to somebody that is protected. So that's the general principle. And then it's up to the rest of the government to mm-hmm. figure out sort of what does that mean and how do we put the how do we put the details on it Michael I'm pretty confused about why this is happening at all because this is a result of the Supreme Court agreeing to hear a case but not until October and as of now all the lower courts have struck down the president's travel ban on these mostly Muslim countries so why is the Supreme Court reinstating any aspect of this ban at all before it rules. That seems unusual. 
the Supreme Court has a history of being deferential to the president and the executive. So in the first instance, they generally take the position that the executive branch of the government should be allowed to do what it wants to do unless it really is egregious and violates the Constitution. The practice of national security, when the executive is trying to do something that's national security related, that's even a more Mm -hmm. powerful incentive for the courts to defer to them unless there's something really wrong. So I, I think that what's happened here is that the Supreme Court took a look at this and said, we'll, we'll eventually take a look at the ultimate constitutionality of this. But in the meantime, does the government, the executive branch of the United States, does President Trump deserve the ability to try to exercise what President Trump thinks is important for national security, for protecting the United States? And if so, what parts of what he wants to do do we think he could exercise, you know, without egregiously violating, um, mm-hmm. you know, people's rights and without egregiously violating or putting in place something that would be hard to undo. And where they came down essentially was that they basically said to the president of the United States, look, if you want to impose a ban on people who are not citizens of the United States, are not residents of the United States, don't have a significant relationship with anybody who's in the United States, aren't connected to an institution in the United States, don't aren't a student of the United States. They're solely somebody outside of our borders. While we're sort of examining this big question, mm-hmm. if you want to stop those those kinds of people from coming in, go right ahead. That's essentially what they decided. So Michael, you've you've laid out the idea here that that the United States is most anxious about people with no family connections to the United States. Does that tell us anything? And you've been talking to people at the State Department and the Justice Department. Does that tell us something about exactly who the U.S. wants to keep out of our country and why? Who they basically seem to fear most? Hmm. Well, hmm. I mean, I think, look, President Trump's stated interest in this is to protect the country. And I think their argument would be that somebody who wants to come here who has no ties here doesn't you know is is more suspicious is hmm. is somebody who you don't know why they're trying to come to the United States and therefore i guess in the administration's view that person is somebody who you you might want to have extra scrutiny on and less interest in simply letting them in the country because there's no clear reason why they want to come here if you by contrast, have a connection to the United States, you have an obvious reason you want to be here. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, in their view, somebody who at least, you know, you might want to have uh, have an interest in letting in. Let me try this out as well. Does it it sound like an overread or an overinterpretation here to say that perhaps a grandparent doesn't qualify because it might mean that someone who has only an elderly relative here is a young person with perhaps some sort of sinister reasons for wanting to come here. You know, I I mean, I'm not sure that holds together logically because... I, th- I think there's a real question of whether it does. Be- because because let's say that, you, you know, cynically you, you say, well, the person that you want to keep out is the 19-year-old Muslim kind of radical that you think is, gonna, is more likely to be a terrorist, mm-hmm. right? But that same person, if he claims a brother, mm-hmm. 
Then right? he can come. He can come. Nobody has expressed to me, and I don't actually see the logic of why, they, if they if they were sort of trying to like design a right. system to target a particular age group, this wouldn't be the way you would do it. You could imagine a system whereby they said, you know, we're going to add scrutiny to people between the ages of 17 and 26. Got it. So there's no clear pattern here from what you can tell about about age or or kind of demographics beyond— No, and in fact, in fact there's really no— explanation that they've given us at all for the different kinds of family. Like people said on the call with the State Department today, isn't it true that there are some people who are, you know, raised by their grandmother since the time they were three, you know, their parents died in an auto accident or whatever, and they're closer to their grandmother than they are to, you know, a parent or to a brother, a sibling? How does the government make the decision that one is more of a real connection than the other. And they literally had no answer to that. They would not answer the question because I I don't think they have an answer. Michael, thank you very much. Uh, sure. Happy to do it. On Thursday night, the state of Hawaii filed an emergency court challenge to the Trump administration's definition of a bona fide relationship. In Hawaii, said the state's attorney general, Close family includes many of the people that the federal government decided on its own to exclude from that definition. We'll be right back. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. No one else built this bold because no one else thought this big. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics 2H2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not endorsement. Here is what else you need to know today. After pledging the total repeal of the Affordable Care Act, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell may now preserve elements of the law to win over Republican senators who oppose his plan to replace it. The Times reports that McConnell is considering keeping the ACA tax on investment income to satisfy lawmakers like Senator Bob Corker, who complained that the Republican plan favors the rich. It's not equitable to have a situation where you're increasing the burden on lower income citizens and lessening the burden on on wealthy citizens. That's not a proposition that is sustainable, and I think leadership knows that. And... Are these comments out of line? Are you talking about this morning's tweet? Yeah, Yeah, I just saw it a little bit ago. Uh, Obviously, I don't see that as an appropriate comment. President Trump was condemned by lawmakers from both parties for sending out a crude tweet about Mika Brzezinski, the co-anchor of MSNBC's Morning Joe. Trump claimed Brzezinski had traveled to Mar-a-Lago shortly after his election and tried to get time with him. Quote, she was bleeding badly from a facelift, the president tweeted. I said no. The president seems to have been provoked by Morning Joe's increasingly critical coverage of him. It makes a man feel better than making a fake cover of a magazine about himself, lying every day and destroying the country. Okay. Including a segment Thursday morning in which Brzezinski criticized the president for, among other things, hanging framed copies of a Time magazine cover that turned out to be fake. 
Deputy White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders says Trump stands by his tweet. Did the president go too far with this tweet in its deeply personal nature? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the president has been uh, attacked mercilessly on personal accounts by members on that program. And I think he's been very clear that when he gets attacked, uh, he's going to hit back. I think the American people elected somebody who's tough, who's smart, and who's a fighter. And that's Donald Trump. And I don't think that it's a surprise to anybody that he fights fire with fire. The Daily is produced by Theo Balcom, Lindsay Garrison, Rachel Quester, and Andy Mills. Lisa Tobin is our executive producer. Samantha Hennig is our editorial director. Our theme music is by Jim Brunberg and Ben Landsberg of Wonderly. Special thanks to Martha Daniel, Peter Sale, Pedro Rosado, and Michael Simon Johnson. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. We're taking the holiday weekend off. We'll be back on Wednesday. Have a great 4th of July. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit Wampley.com to learn more.